Hey everybody, good evening and welcome to this live stream message from the Neighborhood Church. My name is Adam Wood, I'm the lead pastor here. I'm glad that you've joined us, I hope that you stick with us. In just a few moments, we're going to be closing out this series, Prayers in the Pandemic, where we're looking at the book of Psalms. Psalms is the prayer book of God's people, and we are looking at these ancient words for our modern times. This evening, we're going to be looking at Psalm 46. That's Psalm 46, so I hope that you'll join me there, because there is an invitation. Ancient words that I believe can transform your perspective, and by transforming your perspective, you can transform your days, your interactions, your emotional well-being. It's kind of that big of a deal. It's ancient words from God himself. So I hope that you'll join me in Psalm 46 as we close out this series, Prayers in the Pandemic. While you're turning to Psalm 46, let me tell you a couple quick announcements. <clears throat> if you're a part of the Neighborhood Church, you've been praying for Pastor Bud, and I want to thank you. He was in the hospital for about 15 days, and by God's grace, he came home Thursday evening. He is happy to be home. He is feeling better. He is feeling stronger, but he would still love your continued prayers for God's healing power and sustaining presence as he continues to heal up and rest up from a pretty nasty infection in his lungs. So, Pastor Bud, shout out to you. We love you. We're still praying for you. Next week, I'm excited that Isaac Hernandez will be sharing a message with you all. And uh, it's, it's going to be a great time to step back into the book of Acts. We were looking at the book of Acts earlier this summer as we see how the church spreads to all people, to everyone, everywhere. So Isaac Hernandez is going to bring a message next week back in the book of Acts. I hope that you'll be here for that. Isaac uh, grew up in the neighborhood in which we are serving and ministering. He has served and ministered there for many years in and amongst the rock in all kinds of ways, planning a church. He served as a missionary in apartment life. He served in churches, preaching, and just an all-around good dude. I'm excited to hear Isaac preaching for the first time in our church, the Neighborhood Church, back in the book of Acts next week. Also, I want you to, uh, if you haven't already, sign up for our monthly newsletter. Hopefully a link is there in the chat box. Click that link, simple, quick form, take you 10 seconds to sign up so you can stay in the loop on some info and announcements. Uh, we'll be sending out our monthly newsletter, Lord willing, next week. It's going to have a special podcast that kind of sums up and hands you a package of a way to pray in this pandemic, in this season, with some of these psalms and the things that we've learned. So a special podcast that we'll be recording with a way to help you pray in your daily life. That's coming out this week, Lord willing. Also, it's really important you sign up for that newsletter because we'll be making some announcements about how we're going to be gathering together again moving forward. That's right, in October, by God's grace and all things being equal, expect to see some changes with how we are worshiping as God's people together. We're looking to do an outdoor worship uh, gathering on October 24th. That's the fourth Saturday there in October. And uh, around that time in October, we're also going to be moving this live stream message back to our campus where we meet together for worship. We're going to be streaming our service uh, in a new way, in a different way. So keep your eyes peeled for that. I appreciate all of you that are members of the church that in last month's newsletter found that survey and filled out your thoughts and comfort level. Thank you for doing that. That information was really valuable. We're using that information for some changes that you'll see coming in the month of October. So outdoor worship gatherings and a different kind of elevated live stream and more to come by God's grace. So that's what's up. 
Hope that you make note of that. Hope you can sign up for that newsletter and hope that you stick with us because we all need to just pause to breathe and believe and live like God is really with us. We're going to be looking at Psalm 46. And before we read it, let's pray it. The ancient words of Psalm 46, verse 10, might sound familiar to you. They go like this. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. That's the invitation that we'll see at the conclusion of our message. But I want to start by praying that. Here's how I want to pray it. Take a deep breath. Remember that even though we're separated, prayer is a soul at attention before God. And when we pray together, we're joining our thoughts, our intention, our attention before God for the same purpose together. To reach out to Him so that He can fill us and form us. So we're a soul at attention before God together. And I want you to take another breath to become present to God's presence. And we're going to pray these words in this way. Listen and pay attention and make these words yours. Be still and know that I am God. Just pause and become aware that God is longing to be gracious to you, reaching out to you. He's present to you. We want to be present to Him. Be still and know that I am. Be still and know. Be still. And finally, just be. Take a breath and just be. Be present for the first time, perhaps all day. And know that God is with us that he will not leave us nor forsake us. Amen. Amen. Well, I hope that you've joined me in Psalm 46. It's a psalm of confidence given to the people of God. Let's hear these ancient words. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in time of trouble, Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. And though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her, so she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar, kingdoms fall, he lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And that chorus, that refrain again, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say thanks be to God. One more prayer before we get into it. 
Father, thank you for life and breath in this moment, this opportunity to seek you and find you. We pray that we would do just that together in these moments that we have, hearing the words of your scripture through the mouths of your people, that we would hear and come to know that you are the living God who spoke so long ago and is still speaking to us now. Speak through me, speak to us, in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, hey, have you heard of the flight to nowhere? Do you know what I'm talking about? The flight to nowhere? No, it's not the title of some horror movie or thriller, The Flight to Nowhere. (laughs) That's kind of what it sounds like to me. I think it's bad marketing, especially when you learn that it's not the title of a movie. No, The Flight to Nowhere is an actual flight. Qantas Airlines in Australia organized The Flight to Nowhere that departs from Sydney in one of their enormous aircrafts, the kind of aircraft that they would usually take on transcontinental flights. But this flight to nowhere is not traversing continents, it's really just circling one continent, the continent of Australia. It leaves Sydney, goes around Sydney Harbour, over Bondi Beach, and up around the Great Barrier Reef, It takes a little bit of a left turn to look at the scenic Australian outback before it turns back around and lands, you guessed it, back at Sydney. The flight to nowhere that takes off and returns to the same place and lasts seven hours. More than that, this seven hour flight to nowhere will cost you in US dollars 566 for economy up to $2,734 for first class. Yes, a flight to nowhere, seven hours, 566 bucks to 2,700 bucks, and wouldn't you know it, sold out in 10 minutes. Representatives from Qantas Airlines say that they think it was the fastest selling flight in their company's history. And if you think they're crazy, guess what? Other airlines have been doing this too. In August, there were flights in Japan, Singapore, and Royal Brunei had a fly and dine experience. But this flight to nowhere on Qantas Airlines really takes the cake. It's slated for October 10th, I believe, and it's sold out Why? Because travelers have been daydreaming not just about where they want to travel, they're daydreaming about actual travel. After six months of the pandemic that has wrecked so much in our economy and the flight industry, our travel industry, people are straight up longing just to get on a plane again to get into the big Dreamliner aircraft with those big oversized windows. Why? Because I think they also would love a change of perspective. Wouldn't it be nice if you love to fly and you were the kind of person that was flying all the time and all of a sudden you couldn't? And you're sheltering in place, you're sheltering at home, you're hearing the news, and wouldn't it be nice to just get back to some kind of normalcy? Even if it's that small little airline seat with those small little airline drinks, with those small little airline food trays, to get up to 30,000 feet and to be able to hear the roar of the engines again and to look out those oversized windows for a little bit of a change of scenery. Do you get it now? Maybe some of you are still scratching your head saying, dude, I ain't spending 2,700 bucks on a seven hour flight. But some people are because they must just be longing for a change of perspective. To believe just for a moment 
that things might just be back to normal a little. You see, Psalm 46 that we just read has a couple of the most famous lines in all of the Psalm prayer book. The one that most readily comes to mind is the one that we've already prayed and talked a little bit about, and that we're going to end this message with, this invitation to be still and know that I am God. I hope that these are words you don't just hear. I hope that these are words that you live. I hope that we're able to kind of get up to 30,000 feet to get a new perspective where we can hear those words to be still and know, to see God exalted just enough to where we're able to look around and say, okay, I can breathe a little bit now. Okay, this is really helping me remember who it is that is in charge. I'm telling you that it's possible to breathe and believe that God is with us, that God is in charge. And if we were to do that, to breathe and believe, we might live in light of it. We might live trusting that God really is with us. How would it change your day, your week, to get up above the clouds, a little bit off of the stressors of the normal everyday life, and to breathe and believe that God really is exalted, that he is with us, that he is a refuge and strength. How would it transform your day? Dallas Willard said, we always live what we believe. We just don't always live what we profess we believe. Let me say that again. Dallas Willard says, we believe, no, <laughs> we always live what we believe. We just don't always live what we profess we believe. You guys, I think understand what I'm saying, but just a simple illustration. I live out of the belief that this bench is going to support me and help me. I believe it and I live it because I'm sitting on it. But when it comes to matters of spirituality and the Bible and faith, it's so easy to hear things and to profess things. It's another entirely to live what we profess. I give you my life, Jesus. You are Lord of my life. And then we go out and live that imperfectly. I believe that we're called to love our enemies, but it's hard to live what we profess. I believe that we're called to give generously and radically to those in need, and yet it's hard to live what we profess. You guys understand it, but it's hard to live it. It's hard for me to live it. Now, it's one thing to profess the words that we read, God is refuge. It's another thing to trust him in the wake of all this natural disaster and chaos. It's one thing to profess that God is exalted over all nations, that he's ruling and reigning. But it's a whole other thing to see the national frenzy in and around an election season and cycle. It's one thing to profess God is refuge and God is exalted. It's quite another to live it when you feel like the sky is falling. Amen? Psalm 46 is a song of confidence. Ancient words given to us, inviting us to live what we profess. The psalm has three sections. Let's spend a couple minutes breaking apart, looking at each of them. The first section is verses 1 to three, that images and pictures this natural disaster, an ancient way of saying the sky is falling. They would always talk about the seas roaring and foaming and mountains crumbling, all these big, expansive, strong things. If they're tumbling, what chance do I have? Yet within that imagery, I want you to catch this in the first section. We have an image of God as a storm shelter. That's the first section there. God is our refuge, our strength. God as storm shelter. Martin Luther, not Dr. Martin Luther King, but his 
namesake, Martin Luther, the famous church reformer in the 1500s, wrote a famous hymn that we know as, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. This psalm inspired him to such a bold confidence, A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. I think he's able to say that, sing that, write that, read that, because he's experienced it in his own life. A man who um, withstood attacks and persecutions and all kinds of opposition, I think he was able to write those words, having read this, to sing it, to profess it, because he's experienced it. There's some translations of Psalm 46 um, in that first section that say, he's an ever-present help. He's found to be strong. Have you, in your own experiential life with God, found him to be strong? Let me illustrate it. Maybe you'll hear what I'm trying to say. Uh, We live in a part of the world that's conducive to storms, tornadoes. We saw a nasty one last fall. And the truth is, in our house, we take it pretty seriously when the storm warnings, the tornado warnings come through because my wife has lived through some nasty tornadoes and storms. So when they say, hey, it's time to get into your shelter in your house, it is time to do it if we're not there already in my house. Because Amy, as a child, was living in different states and places where she was living through tornadoes threatening to peel apart her house while she's tucked underneath in that bathtub, under that mattress, in that closet. She's lived through enough storms to know that when they're coming, you better get to a safe place. She's experienced enough storms to know we better get to a safe place. Some of you have experienced that in a metaphorical sense this year. Let me rephrase that. All of you have experienced that in a metaphorical sense this year. We all have people we know and love that have the health storms, the illness storms. When the threat of bad news, bad prognosis and diagnosis comes, do we run to God and cry out and say, help me, help me. And we grasp on the bulwark and refuge and fortress of God and say, if I'm going to make it, it's going to be holding on to you. Financial struggle, emotional struggle, the relational hurt struggle. When the storms are coming, it's imperative you get somewhere for shelter. It's not a question of if you're running somewhere. It's a matter of where are you running. It's hardwired within us to go somewhere when the storms and difficulties come. The question is, are you running to God as your storm closet and shelter, or are you running elsewhere? What happens when we run elsewhere? That's a question that you can answer in the deep parts of your place because it's the kind of places we run that we don't like to talk about. And it's the kind of places that you and I have run probably in this season. It's the kinds of places we run where we try to go to food, even eating too much or finding control and eating too little. The kinds of ways we go to self-soothe ourselves with sex or pornography that just runs rampant to try to help us fill or feel some kind of void when the storms hit. Maybe it's shopping and spending. Maybe it's consuming media, social media, part of the frenzy of being angry. Maybe it's Good old-fashioned self-medicating with substances, drinking too much, and finding any kind of relief and release from the craziness of the storm around us. What happens when we don't run to God is we run all these other places. In our church, we talk all the time about 
healthy disengagement and unhealthy disengagement. The truth is we all need ways to cope, but the truth is not all ways of coping are healthy and good and holistic and restorative. And so what happens when we don't incorporate those hobbies and channel them toward God? They become habits that channel us toward bondage and shame. We know this to be true. At some point, the soothing doesn't quite soothe us, and it gives way to that, why do I keep doing this? I think it grieves God's heart, not just because we are uh, acting in opposition to the way he's called us to live. It grieves God's heart because he doesn't want you to feel that way. Shame is something that just grows in darkness and, 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 and thinking that, you know, I can't believe that God would love me. I can't believe that God would want me to channel this and bring this hurt and storm and chaos to him. Let me tell you what I've tried to communicate every week, that the Psalms teach us to take the range of human emotion and experience and channel them Godward. It's a place where you have permission to get everything in your life out in the open before God because it's better out in front of Him in the tender and gracious arms of the Creator who knows you and still calls you beloved. It's better out than in causing us to retreat into more bondage and more shame. And it breaks my heart that too many Christians have lived like I have for too long thinking that God would never want us, that His grace is not stronger than our sin. And I'm telling you, the call is to repent, to turn around from the things that are leading us to shame and bondage because His call is toward freedom and forgiveness and life. And the narrative of Scripture is that in Christ, there is no condemnation when you're His. And so we can bring these things Godward, knowing that the full range of human emotion and experience is on the table. Because God then can work with it and use it and hear us out. And that's a better place. It's a place of freedom and life in place of shame and death. When you find yourself gravitating back to those sin cycles that lead to shame spirals, turn to God and find that he is refuge and strength and he lives in dead ends when you think there's nowhere else to go. God lives in dead ends when you think there's nowhere else to go. God is a very present, ever-present, ever-near refuge and strength. God is where we go when there's nowhere else to go. Amen? I'm trying to remind myself now. I hope that you're reminded too. To breathe and believe that he really is refuge and strength for you right now. So how? I think we can name it and pray it and share it. That pain, that hurt, that storm, name it. Where am I believing? Where am I running? That's not him. Name it. Become aware of it. And then pray it. When we pray it and bring it before God, turn all that Godward, we're able to put it into its rightful place and perspective. Talking with people that are in recovery, it's so powerful when you do certain recovery groups like Celebrate Recovery, where you don't just say, I am an alcoholic, you say, I am a believer in recovery from fill in the blank. Our identity is never our sin struggle. Our identity is as beloved children. And so when we pray, when we bring all of our mess, we can put it into its proper perspective and remember that we are freed and forgiven from both the penalty of sin, but also its power in our lives. We can name it, then we pray it, and I think this crucial piece is to share it. This is what the Psalms have been teaching us. Share it. This is an open source document of God's people struggling with real life 
with the real God. Hello? Warts and all, it's in there. And we're called to share it. We have these open letters to God. Like Psalm 44, I was reading earlier, basically says, God, are you asleep at the wheel? Wake up, help me. Psalm 42, we looked at last week. My tears are my food. God, do something. Warts and all, open source, you can share it. Because when you share it, you realize that you're not alone. And you can have others remind you that God is not done. I think it's a gift that we can give each other in this time of isolation and separation. I've seen it played out in very unique and strange ways. Earlier this week, I had to make a target run early in the morning. I needed batteries to get something done before I really got into my day. And there I was, a five-minute target run turned into a 45-minute target run because one of our neighbors, a guy that I have his phone number, we're acquaintances, our kids go to the same school, and we would ride together, walk together, you know, chit-chat. We don't even know each other's last name, but yet... On that five-minute target run that turned into a 45-minute target run, he just unloaded. Why? Because at some point in the conversation, as I'm nodding and listening and nodding and listening, he says, man, I have really nobody else I've been able to talk to about this. And it just made me think, man, we desperately need each other to share what's going on. Not just with God, but with one another. That's why we do this church together. Psalm 46, I told you, is a communal song of confidence. Some people believe that they sang it before battle, or before an attack, or before an impending disaster. We don't know if that's the case, but I like imagining that it's the case, where you are living and breathing and trying to remember that God is my refuge when the sky is falling. That God is exalted when the nations are coming to attack us. One of the things you might want to do is count the refuge or fortress mentions in the psalm. You may count three of them, four of them, depending on your translation. I think that's why it's reminding us to breathe and believe it and find him trustworthy and strong. He is a storm shelter that will help you weather it. Last thing before we get to the second section briefly. This morning, Amy and the girls were playing a game while I was working on this message at the table, and the girls asked mom for help. They said, what do we do? What do we do? And Amy told them, why don't you try this? It worked. And they go, yes! And Emma goes, I was trusting on you. And of course, I'm writing some notes for this message. And I said, wait, what did she say? And she said, I'm trusting on her. And then Amy looks over and says, you're using that for this sermon, right? Yes, the answer is yes, of course I am. I love that phrase. Experientially, we can know I've trusted on God and found him sturdy and able. I can take it all Godward and find myself a sure and stable, safe place in him. The second section is interesting. It moves from natural disaster to a national frenzy. We see that in verses 4 to 7. And there's this juxtaposition of the crazy, chaotic waters of that first section to this peaceful, flourishing river in the second section. Only problem, you, you ready? Only problem is there's actually no river by the city of God, Jerusalem. There's actually no river that is butting up against it and giving life to the holy habitation of God. Don't you love that? That's called poetic license in the psalm, where they imagine the place where God dwells, the city of Jerusalem, is like this beautiful, life-giving, flourishing place. God is in our midst, and God's people have come to trust him, because why? Here's the second thing in the midst of national uproar and frenzy. Y'all ready for this? Not just God as storm shelter, but God as incumbent king. Ooh, ooh. God is the incumbent ruler 
of heaven and earth. When creation threatens to upend the order that God has established, when nations threaten to overtake the people of God, all of a sudden we see God not just as refuge, but as the king who rules from Jerusalem. It's really interesting because this little nation of Israel dared to believe itself the center of the universe. All you other nations have all those pretend gods that you made in your backwood shop. We are in partnership and relationship with the living God. We are the center of the universe. Why? Because the creator of the universe was at their center. That the creator of the universe had made his home among a people. That's why some of you can't dare to believe that God would long to be with you, little old you. But we know that in Christ, through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit dwells within us. And we have become a holy habitation of the God of the universe. So when all the nations and all those others threaten you, it's so vital to believe that God is in our midst. Why don't you look back through Psalm 46 and your translation, different translations, and count up the mentions of in our midst or with us. You'll see at least four. To breathe and believe, okay, he is with me in this. All this chaos on cable news, all this chaos on social media, all of this back and forth at the dinner table and with others, all of this frenzy, it is so vital that we remember that God is ruling and reigning. And yes, I'm about to go there. Because if Dallas Willard is right, that we always live what we believe, but we don't always live what we profess we believe, in this national political frenzy, are we living in light of our profession that Jesus really is the reigning Lord of heaven and earth? Are we breathing and believing that Jesus is Lord and living in light of it? Or are we wringing our hands and so worried at what's going to happen in November? Are we wringing our hands and so worried that, that, that we profess that Jesus is Lord, but, oh man, if we get another four years of Trump, that's it. Oh man, if we get four years of Biden, that's it. Friends, I, I, I hate that I have to remind ourselves of this, that neither Trump nor Biden nor anyone else is strong enough to usurp the unshakable kingdom of God. Friends, I hate that we have to remind each other this, but no political party has the corner of the market on a distinctly kingdom politic or policy. Friends, we are citizens of the kingdom of God. So if you are a follower of Jesus, it means you said, Jesus, you are the reigning Lord of heaven and earth. I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you raised from the dead. I believe that all the world's darkest powers conspired to defeat you, but you rose again. You are living and reigning and inviting all people into your gracious kingdom. And I want in. I want your forgiveness, your life. I want to go in your direction with my face toward you, my feet toward your kingdom. It means I'm following you. I've given up my rights, my life for you. That's what it means. So let's remember that we made our vote at our baptism. We made our vote when we said, Jesus, I give you my life. That as citizens of God's kingdom, he has our allegiance. That we have pledged our allegiance long ago to a king and a kingdom. And that to think that we could live in this world and say things like, you can't be a Christian and vote as a Republican, 
you can't be a Christian and vote as a Democrat is to think that one or the other parties can sum up all the nuance and complexities of a kingdom that's not of this world. We have made our pledge to Jesus as the incumbent king of the universe. Anything else is secondary. In America, it's a shame that we have to remind each other of this. It's a shame that we have to will ourselves to respectful and thoughtful dialogue. But friends, I'm not saying don't vote. I'm saying you can inform yourself, you can discern your conscience, and you can do this duty as a citizen of America. But your primary responsibility was decided a long time ago when you said yes to Jesus and cast your vote to him. Your responsibility every day you are living and breathing is to him and his agenda of bringing the kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. If you can do that for a couple minutes in your own way and on your own conscience in the political process, by all means, Go and do it, but understand that that may be one Tuesday in November, but Jesus gets your whole life every day, every moment, and your responsibility is to love God with everything and love your neighbor as yourself, and everything else just falls into place underneath it. Do we live what we profess? Or are we going to get swept up in the same kind of frenzy and uproar threatening our own sanity when the throne of God is not threatened, no matter who we get. We can breathe and believe that nations may be in uproar, but God is in our midst. He is with us. He will not leave us nor forsake us. I love this phrase from a student and partner of Dallas Willard. His name is James Bryan Smith. It's in his book, The Good and Beautiful God, which is tremendous. I highly recommend it. It's the first book in a series uh, called The Apprentice Series. And he has this phrase that I've held on to for these many years. And it's a phrase that says, I am safe and secure in the unshakable kingdom of God. Perhaps that's the phrase to breathe and believe for the next couple months in this election frenzy. To remember, I am safe and secure in the unshakable kingdom of God. Our incumbent king is not threatened. He is still at work, renewing, moving toward his good and beautiful kingdom, and it is unshakable. So, we see the first image, God is storm shelter. We see God is our incumbent king. We can breathe and believe and live in light of it. Finally, we close with that invitation we prayed and referred back to multiple times. The third section, Psalm 46. Come and see, verse 8. He makes wars cease. He breaks the bow. He burns the shields. Come see how he's just wiped the slate clean in all of this upheaval. I love that question we asked at the beginning of our time. What does it look like when earth and heaven see God's will be done? I love asking it this way when we talk to our kids in our community center and our church. What does it look like when God's in charge? What you guys said was shalom, which is that Hebrew word of flourishing and peace and well-being. Becky, you said peace, kindness, loving others. Becky Mayamy gets the gold star and the gift card or the prize. We need to work something out because that girl said TNC. Ooh, you're lying a little bit, but I like where your head's at. Oh, may it be. I hope that we can live as if God really is ruling and reigning. Carla, you said peace. Lou Stone, Golden Rule, Jason, Love, Justice, everything in its rightful place, generously working for the good of one another. This sounds wonderful. I love asking kids because they think super concretely. They say, what does it look like when God's in charge? People have enough food to eat. What does it look like when God's in charge? They have enough clothes. They have friends to come alongside them. Everyone is loved. Almost every time I've asked this question, here's why I bring it up. They say there's no 
more fighting. There is something really beautiful about children that have grown up in the ecosystem of God's people and followers of Jesus, where they just intuitively know that war is not God's dream. That war has an expiration date. So at the end of Psalm 46, it's powerful to see this image of God as a warrior who's waging war on war itself. Shout out to my Wilco fans that know the song War on War. Ironically, that's what God is doing. He's waging a war on war itself because when God is in charge, when God's will comes on earth as it is in heaven, we have no more need of the bow and the spear and the shields. We have no more need of the ring door cameras and the guns and the violence and the trillion dollar military industrial complex that this this nation boasts of because God's kingdom that's not of this world is bending itself toward an end where we can all just stop enough with all of the insanity. God speaks a word into the frenzy and says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted over all the earth, over all these nations. Some of your translations might say, cease striving. It's as if God intervenes on the playground brawl and runs out and says, enough, look at me, stop. I hope that you see in its proper context this invitation to be still and know is more than a private spirituality, even more than the way we prayed it a few moments ago. I hope you see it's more than an invitation to private spirituality. I hope you see it as an invitation to breathe and believe what we profess. Live in light of the God who rules and reigns. I'll close with this. Last Sunday, we went to a trail, like a paved trail here, not far from our house, that weaves its way through a nature preserve. It was the first time we had been there, and so we're trying to navigate all the twists and turns. I made it even more difficult because I was on my skateboard. Yes, folks, you heard that right. We're all trying to cope, and I'm not trying to self-soothe in unhealthy ways, so I just am soothing in dangerous ways and taking up skateboarding in my 30s. But enough about that. We're skating and biking through this trail, and we come across a corner, and we have to say to our girls almost every turn, stop, be still, wait, because they're trying to pass and trying to do this, and we're trying to just hold on just a minute, wait. And what's fascinating is one of those times, if I'm lying, I'm dying, Amy remembers this, one of those places we stopped on the trail written in chalk was God is in control. God has got this. God is in control over and over again down through a stretch of the sidewalk. And it was so funny because I was thinking in that moment, what do we mean when we say that? And more than that, I thought, Okay, what does a non-believer think when they read God is in control? Maybe they think like the psalmist I mentioned earlier in Psalm 44. If God is in control, he's asleep at the wheel. This is crazy. Maybe they think if God is in control, he better control a little more because we got a lot of people making a big mess. What do we mean when we say God is in control? To say that he's ruling and reigning and sovereign. What does it mean to breathe, believe it, and then live in light of it? Well, incidentally, I think it has a lot to do with how we were skating and biking on that trail. Emma, stop. Emma, listen. Nora, wait. 
You see, to say that God is in control is not to say that he's controlling every movement and fiber of our being, but that he's inviting us to listen and partner with what he wants done. What does it look like for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven? When everyone has enough to eat, when they're loved, when they're clothed, these are the things he's saying, this is what I'm asking of you. Will you partner with me? I'm not looking for puppets, I'm looking for partners. In a global pandemic, in a national frenzy, with natural disasters on our West Coast, with our neighbors crying out for justice in the wake of decisions that were made this week and beyond, to partner with God in the renewal of all things. And it starts by taking a breath each day, to be still, to remember that you are safe and secure in the unshakable kingdom of God, to remember that he is with you as a refuge and as your king, that he's exalted, and whatever it takes for you to get to that 30,000 foot view, to settle in and know it may be crazy down there, but God, you are with me. I can trust you. I can trust on you. And may we live in light of those truths. I hope that you will find a way to pray with us together in that podcast. I hope that you can reach out to us if you need to say yes to Jesus for the first time. Know that he has said yes to you. That on the cross, he threw his arms around the world saying, there is forgiveness here. You've just got to come and trust it. That God has reconciled himself to you in Christ Jesus, but he's longing for you to take that step back home to him. If you need to reach out in prayer and if you need someone to share some things with, I hope you know that we are here together with you and for you. That if you need to more fully engage with the neighborhood group, any of the above, would you know that we are in this together? And would you go in his peace to breathe and believe and live, really live, knowing that God is your refuge and he's with you. So be still and know. Amen.